is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day for Ambassador Nikki Haley. Uh, she is out with a, a big ad buy, and she has her first TV advertisement of uh, this campaign season. And the advertisement is all about moral clarity. Does uh, she attack President Trump in the ad? Nope. Does she attack President Biden in the ad? Nope. Is that a good idea? And will that upstage to some extent the big, big red state versus blue state debate tonight between Governor Ron DeSantis, Republican conservative of Florida, and a Democratic liberal named Gavin Newsom, who is the uh, governor of the state of California? Who is likely to win this confrontation? One of the people who has uh, speculated on this and uh, has wise things to say, as he does about most things, is my friend Ruben Navarrete. And uh, new Ruben is um, a nationally syndicated columnist. Uh, he is uh, someone who does a regular podcast called uh, Ruben in the Center. And he is in the center of many controversies. And uh, he's syndicated through the Washington Post syndicators around the country as a columnist. Uh, Ruben, are are you excited uh, beyond belief about the debate, which is coming up tonight at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, uh, from Alpharetta, Georgia? Uh, first of all, do you know why are they doing it in Alpharetta, Georgia? Neither of them is from I, Georgia. <laughs> Michael, I have no idea. Brother Michael, so good to be with you again. Thank you for the kind words. I am more excited about this debate than I thought I was going to be. If you'd asked me last week or the week before, I would have thought, ah, you know, maybe I've got something else to do that night. I'm not going to miss this. Uh, just the anticipation and the buildup has been, been great. I, I'm thinking three things about this debate. First of all, it made sense a year ago when – during an interview with Sean Hattie, which turned out to be one of many that Gavin Newsom did, he sort of mentioned the idea they'd kind of like to debate uh, uh, Ron DeSantis. It made sense at the time. DeSantis was still riding high, come off a big reelection victory in Florida. Well, now, a year later, the Ron DeSantis campaign has collapsed. He's gone from 20 to 25 percent of the polls to about 8 percent of the polls, tied with Nikki Haley. She's on the way up, and he's on the way out. So I, I bet that Gavin Newsom is now wishing he had, darn it, I wish I had challenged Nikki Haley to a debate because I might get more mileage from it. Secondly, anybody speaking as a Californian who has been so critical of Gavin Newsom, who supported the recall, who wrote critical things about him that made lots of liberals in the media upset out here, having said that, you underestimate this guy at your peril. He is not a particularly effective leader, but he is a wonderful campaigner and politician, and he is very quick on his feet. And I think that'll serve him well tonight. The last thing I think is that the media gets it wrong when they say somehow that tonight is an audition for Gavin Newsom in 2028. That's a million years from now in politics. Nobody auditions you know, five <laughs> years out to run for president. Make no mistake, this is an audition for 2024 for Gavin Newsom because he knows that a lot of different things could happen. And so I wouldn't count him out for 2024. He, he knows what he's doing. He's not looking at 2028. He's looking at next year. Now, you've been following Gavin Newsom, as you said, uh, you were very much opposed, uh, favored the recall 
which failed miserably. Didn't that, that that vote was two to one, wasn't it, in California right. against recalling Governor yep. Newsom? And uh, uh, he uh, he obviously has a, a certain amount of support in the state of California. But if you were uh, based on your knowledge of the governor, if you were to handicap the debate, who do you think comes out uh, actually? being adjudged the winner of this argument between the Florida approach and the California approach? That's a really good question. You're going to have two different uh, sets of analysis. At the end of the night, who won, California approach or Florida approach, particularly with regard to things like COVID, gun control policy, healthcare policy, the economy and the like, uh, immigration policy. That's a very good question at state versus state. That I don't know ultimately who's going to come out on top there. You can, I've heard analysis already that says you could argue it either way. Even on COVID, uh, there are people who could make the case that Florida did a better job or that California did a better job. But the other track is an analysis between the individuals, between the people, which is how we typically assess debates, right? Who won, Gavin Newsom or Ron DeSantis? As I said before, I think that Gavin Newsom will probably clean DeSantis's cloth. He is just uh, you have to understand this about our governor. Our governor has dyslexia. That means that he has had to work five times harder for everything he's ever done in life. He is a hard worker. He is a smart guy. And, again, he is a great communicator. He's very quick on his feet. And, plus, Sean Hannity is the moderator. And a couple things there. Sean's going to be very careful not to uh, favor uh, Ron DeSantis. He may overcorrect and give Newsom a lot more slack. But also, as you know, Rupert Murdoch and the entire Fox News network has deserted Ron DeSantis. He's no longer their golden boy. He's no longer their choice. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Murdochs called Hannity and said, you know, don't, don't do him any favors tonight. Uh, if Newsom wants to attack DeSantis, let him have at it. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. This is one of those things where I, I think it, I agree with you that things go in Gavin Newsom's direction because he simply has nothing to lose. He's not right. a candidate. And uh, this, uh, whether he does brilliantly or or does poorly, uh, it puts him in mind in case something does happen to Joe Biden or Joe Biden has a sit down with uh, with Jill, uh, who tells him, hey, listen, for the sake of the family, for the sake of your health, for the sake of the well-being of the country, you got to step aside and uh, Nobody believes it would be a smart move to step aside in behalf of Kamala Harris. And right. Gavin Newsom uh, could be building himself up as the obvious top of mind alternative. He's 56 years old, which uh, makes him a full generation younger than uh, Joe Biden. And partially because of the way he presents himself, I think it seems like even more of an age difference than that, don't you? Yes, he also likes to fight. This guy's a pugilist, man. This guy likes to fight. He, he's a, a very interesting character because he's this liberal from, you know, origins in San Francisco and in California. Uh, but he knows how to take a punch and throw one back. And you saw that with Hannity. He will not let anybody malign the state of California. For every stat you throw him, he's got five more to counter. Uh, and, and he's been saying for a while that, that where Biden and Harris missed the boat is they've been trying, trying to take the high road and they don't mix it up. Gavin Newsom would mix it up gladly with any single Republican who gathers on the Republican stage for these debates. I think he would fare least well against Nikki Haley. 
but he, he'll take the fight to any one of them, and that is a really uh, positive thing. That uh, You mentioned uh, Kamala Harris. Nobody believes that somehow Gavin Newsom is, is doing a favor for the administration. Gavin Newsom is doing a favor for Gavin Newsom. And to the detriment of Kamala Harris, these two frenemies who go back, they're both from California, they're both from Northern California. You know, it's, it's, they're, they're from the same hood, the same neighborhood. And ultimately, uh, they don't like each other very much. Everybody knows that. And Kamala Harris has got to be very unhappy that this debate is taking place because, as you said, Gavin Newsom is basically telegraphing to the country, I'm the number two. If something happens to Joe Biden or if he decides not to run, I'm ready. I'll take the baton. But where does that leave Kamala Harris? So by far, she's going to be in the back of my mind as I watch this debate. And I can't believe she's happy about it taking place. And uh, well, I want to speak to you about uh, the other woman uh, in the race, not Kamala Harris. She's not really in the race, but Nikki Haley very much is. And uh, there are back-to-back articles in the New York Times with the uh, headline in early primary states, Haley is building momentum. And then right next to that, Haley gets a new lift from uh, Diamond. That's Jamie Diamond uh, of Chase Manhattan. In any event, J.P. Morgan Chase. In any event, uh, it says Haley gets a new lift from Diamond and a pack. So what about this uh, talk about momentum for Nikki Haley? Where does it go? Is it vice presidential momentum or the real thing for president? We'll get to that and more with Ruben Navarrete coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. by someone from the outside is to step in and take control. Michael Medved. And uh, glad to take control together, not only with the voice of the former governor of California, but talking about the voice of the current governor of California, Gavin Newsom, which uh, people who tune in tonight to Fox TV are going to hear. And I think it is widely expected that uh, Gavin Newsom will come out a winner here by advancing his own political stock, while no matter how ferociously he fights, uh, doing nothing to really help uh, uh, Ron DeSantis, who is the other part of the debate card. But he, if you look at what Ron DeSantis has done – and. And, Ruben, I wanted to check whether you agree with me on this, particularly the last debate. And uh, then they have a, another uh, debate coming uh, right up uh, on uh, December the 6th, I believe it is. Uh, but it's coming up next week, and that would be for the four surviving Republican candidates. Ron DeSantis can be – Tough, formidable. Uh, what if he uh, comes out swinging and is just incredibly negative about all of the problems in California with illegal immigration and homelessness and crime and uh, a, a looming budget deficit coming up? Uh, if he – rather than attacking Joe Biden, attacks uh, uh, Governor Newsom very directly. Michael, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I don't think there'll be any mention of, of Biden or Trump, even for that matter. This is going to be DeSantis versus Newsom. I think Ron DeSantis is going to do exactly what you said. He's going to make this a, an attack on California and on Newsom and on Newsom's leadership. Um, and Newsom is going to take all of that, I promise you, and throw it right back. Uh, he's, got, he's got an answer for everything, our governor. 
Uh, and he's that quick on his feet. He's anticipating this. I've seen him do it before. He did it with Sean Hannity. Um, every time you throw something at him, he'll throw five or six statistics back at you in terms of uh, it'll make you seem by the time he's done, it sounds like California is doing great and we should all move there. I mean, <laughs> he's a great salesman. Uh, we're not talking about truth here. We're talking about politics, remember? Right, uh, and right. So he, does, he does project that well, and he's a great salesperson. Of, but I think ultimately um, uh, when Ron DeSantis does that, he will come off as Ron DeSantis typically comes off in these debates. As, as really shrill and, sh- and snarky uh, and, and not necessarily strong and formidable. I'm struck by the fact that Ron DeSantis has vanished during those last two or three debates. You forget that he's there. The headline the next morning is Ramaswamy versus Haley and Haley versus Ramaswamy. Uh, and, and Ron DeSantis, for having the stature that he does, really seems small on that stage. And it hasn't just happened in one debate. It's happened in the last two or three he doesn't have memorable moments. Nobody says he wins anything. You mentioned Nikki Haley before. If you were going to give a seminar on how to do a presidential campaign, I think Haley has done everything right. She's won every debate. She stays on message. Uh, she's very careful not to simply praise Donald Trump nor attack him on a personal level the way Chris Christie does. She really walks that line, and, and she comes off like the grown-up in the room. I've been listening to you and your podcast you know, forever. I remember three months ago you saying, as I was saying, wow, Nikki Haley really has something here. She really <laughs> is standing out. And that was three months ago. She's only gotten better since then, and the others have gotten worse. Well, so, and, yeah, again, and again, and again, and with, with the endorsement of the Coke Network and yep. this new uh, – can we uh, play – I want to get the reaction to that because talking about Nikki Haley – Uh, She just released her first big new ad buy, and she talks about moral clarity in her ad. Uh, Listen. A president must have moral clarity and know the difference between good and evil. Today, China, Russia, and Iran are advancing. There's chaos in our streets and college campuses. Our security is threatened at home and abroad. It's time for a new generation of conservative leadership. We have to leave behind the chaos and drama of the past and strengthen our country, our pride, and our purpose. I'm Nikki Haley, and I approve this message. What do you think, Ruben? Well, I think she delivers on the, the moral clarity idea. I mean, also, you benefit from, from who you're compared to. On the other side of the fence, you have Rebecca Ramaswamy, who has questioned whether we should be supporting Israel. You have uh, Ron DeSantis, who, let's not forget, characterized the Ukraine invasion, the Russian invasion of Ukraine as a territorial dispute. So, yeah. you know, these are all grown-ups, right? They're supposed to understand the, the English language. It's not, uh, it's not unfair for us to hold those remarks against those people, those candidates, and say, they say, well, somehow they were misquoted. It was taken out of context. The fact is, uh, when you compare Nikki Haley to them, she really does have a, a more mature view on the world. You would you would expect that, given that she's a former U.N. ambassador. So I think she does fare very well. And as she proved during that last debate, if you punch her, she's going to punch you back three times harder. Uh, Either that or or kick you with the three-inch heels. They're not five-inch heels. They're three-inch heels. Yep. Okay. Right back at you. Uh, In terms of uh, President Trump's commanding lead in uh, in both the nationwide polls and all of the early states – Is this all just a waste of time? In other words, uh, what's fascinating to me about this is this debate between uh, uh, DeSantis and Newsom 
has gathered a great deal of attention, there's not the same kind of attention being paid to the next candidate's debate uh, that uh, is coming up. So what is how would a Nikki Haley nomination victory look? What would she have to do to actually win this nomination against a prohibitive frontrunner named Donald Trump? It's a good question. I'll say that one of the reasons there's not much excitement about Republican debates is because we've watched the other three or four, right? <laughs> we've watched the previous debates, and they have descended into chaos. You and I probably had that same instinct where we're watching them think the smartest people are the people who didn't show up at the debate or who didn't make the cut, lucky them, because there's no glory in being on that stage with all the food fly, you know, flying in the air. So, Or, uh, or the one candidate who chose not to attend the debate and isn't attending the next one yeah. either. But go ahead. And his poll numbers just keep going up, so it makes this idea that it really pushes this idea that the debates don't matter much. So yeah, there's a lot more excitement for anything but that on television. But the other point to your to your point, what does Nikki Haley have to do if this ends up being a two-person contest? Where I think, which is where I think we're headed between Nikki Haley and, and Donald Trump, she's going to have to make the argument, coalesce all the different arguments that have been used against Trump to say basically Donald Trump is distracted. He's distracted by too many things. Is his civil and criminal trials, his, you know, tendency to implode, the, the loyalty issues, not loyal even to Mike Pence or people who worked for him. He's just a, too much of a wild card, and now's not the time for that. And if she can somehow make the argument that she is much more of a stable hand than Donald Trump, she might have a shot at carving into some of his support. But it's going to be very difficult because you and I have never seen anything like this before. We've never seen polling that shows that the front runner has 60 to 67 percent, 60, 65 percent of the vote going in his direction, it would be very difficult to imagine a scenario where Donald Trump is not the nominee. And so that's, that's probably the unfortunate part. But Nikki Haley is as good a shot as anybody to change that. Ruben Navarrete, you can read his material. It's linked at michaelmedved.com. Always worth following. And uh, may uh, you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a beautiful weekend coming up. Coming back on The Medved Show, we're talking in a little while to Brett Stevens about uh, how lefties are killing the dream of a Palestinian state. We'll get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, a great privilege to welcome back to the show Brett Stevens, who is one of those absolutely essential voices in current debates. Uh, It is completely necessary, assigned reading, homework to do, to read his recent columns, where he is brought to particularly uh, disputes about the Middle East. A, uh, a remarkable clarity and much-needed clarity. Uh, Brett Stevens uh, is a columnist for the New York Times, for formerly for many years, a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And he also had uh, worked and lived in uh, Israel as an editor for the Jerusalem Post once upon a time. So we were talking before, Brett, about your most recent column, about how it's the left which claims that they want to elevate this grand and glorious dream of a Palestinian state, of a two-state solution. They are killing the idea of a two-state solution. How? 
Well, um, the left, um, disgracefully, and I, I want to be clear when I talk about the left, I'm not talking about the entire left. I'm talking about the side of the left that is out there um, chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, and uh, denouncing Israel for uh, having the gall and the temerity to defend itself. So I'm talking about a segment of the left, not, not by any means everyone who identifies that way. Has th that portion of the radical left or the progressive left has gotten behind the Hamas narrative um, of the quote-unquote occupation, which is that it's an occupation that began not in 1967 when Israel in a defensive war took possession of the West Bank and Gaza and uh, the Sinai Peninsula and the Golan Heights, Rather, their argument, which is Hamas's argument, is that the so-called occupation began in 1948 with the creation of the state of Israel, which means that to them, um, a settlement is a settlement whether it is uh, um, in the West Bank or what, what Jews, uh, Israelis call Judea and Samaria, or whether it's Tel Aviv or Haifa or Eilat or West Jerusalem, all of, all of the sovereign Israel is to them a settlement. And that's, those are the chants that you're hearing in, in the streets today, which is not a call for an end of an occupation in the West Bank. It's a call for the destruction of the state of Israel. No Israeli government, even the most left-wing Israeli government, is ever going to accept that. No government can be expected or should be expected to, expect to, to, to accept its own annihilation. So what this left is doing is making it impossible for any future compromise, and I don't think that compromise will come soon, but any future compromise to um, develop between Israelis and Palestinians so that they can live side by side in two separate states. See, one of the things that I've always wondered about, and I know it's something you've touched on glancingly as well, uh, Brett Stevens, is that uh, the... The basic line about uh, a two-state solution and two states living next to each other, that doesn't require ethnic purity for either state. Twenty percent of the population of Israel is Palestinian Arab, and uh, they vote, and they're part of the society, and they live in the society. Why is it so unthinkable for people on the left who are backers of the Palestinian agenda – that some of uh, the 700,000 Jews who live in the so-called West Bank uh, or the eastern part of Jerusalem even, that some of those people could be able to stay where they are and uh, live within the parameters of some peace-loving, stable Palestinian state that may someday exist. Well, as a matter of fact, you put your finger on, I think, the core issue, um, Michael, which is that the question about a Palestinian state has much less to do with um, its territorial boundaries as it does with its internal character. And one of the reasons why Palestinian state has not come into being is precisely because um, under its current leaders, whether in Hamas in Gaza or Fatah in the West Bank, it would have to be a state that would have no Jews in it, not, um, because they cannot conceive of a state that has uh, religious and uh, ethnic diversity, or at least religious and ethnic diversity, that includes Jews. 
So there's no reason why a future Palestinian state that is genuinely progressive, and I use that word in its in its you know most most commonplace form, genuinely forward forward thinking and tolerant, wouldn't have a place for many Jews uh, to live safely and peacefully uh, uh, within it. But the very fact that no one can conceive it and that the current Palestinian leadership would never allow it tells you something about the kind of state that would come into existence if one were to be declared or you know, come into being uh, 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 tomorrow. Um, it would be a you would end up with um, a, a, a massacre of, of, uh, of Jews. So we want a Palestinian state that looks like Costa Rica or Canada. Um, we don't want a Palestinian state that looks like Yemen or Lebanon or, or Iran. And what the international community should be insisting is that a Palestinian state be worthy of, um, of, of a community of nations that believes in freedom, uh, human rights, democracy, uh, and uh, equality and tolerance. Uh, your uh, colleague Tom Friedman uh, has a column about grasping the essence of the current dispute, and he suggests that the only way there is a possibility for any kind of meaningful settlement is basically complete change in the Palestinian leadership and a complete change in the leadership of the state of Israel. Do you think he's right? Uh, I make a policy of not uh, commenting on the views of of my colleagues, so I'll just comment. I'll just. I'll, no, I, I don't mean that in a. In no, no, I understand. Day. It's just. It's just. Uh, I don't think that's. It, it's a wise uh, policy. Appropriate. Um, uh, in in general, look, uh, he's absolutely right, or I should say, it is absolutely true that you need a complete change in Palestinian leadership, not only with Hamas in Gaza, but also with the Palestinian Authority. Remember that. You know, I was I actually uh, wrote about the last time there was a presidential election among the Palestinians in January of 2005. <laughs> that is more than 18 years ago. There are kids in college now who uh, uh, weren't born when the last that last election happened. And so you need a complete change there. Now, from my own point of view, and I've been on the record now for, for many years saying this, I think uh, uh, Netanyahu, even long before the judicial reform efforts, uh, which I opposed, um, uh, he that his 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 uh, usefulness as a leader for Israel had had, had run its course, um, and that the country needed new political leadership. I think now, uh, what happened over the last year with with Bibi uh, dividing and debilitating the country means that. Um, he is politically speaking um, uh, not long for 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 the stage, uh, and that that that's appropriate because there should be a heavy price for someone on whose watch October seventh happened. And uh, there almost surely will be, at least according to polling in the state of Israel. Do you have a few minutes more, uh, Brett, to talk a little bit about American politics and the forthcoming? Debates and there, there are two of them. There's one for the Republican candidates and one between a Republican candidate, Ron DeSantis, and a potential Democratic candidate, question mark, question mark, question mark, Gavin Newsom. Are you okay for a few minutes more? Absolutely, for you anytime. I appreciate it. I so much appreciate your work and your voice. We will be right back with Brett Stevens coming up. 
Michael Medved show. Uh, there's a breaking news. The U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights has opened an investigation into Harvard University uh, to determine whether the university has fulfilled its legal obligation to respond to the increase in anti-Semitic incidents reported in the wake of the October 7th Hamas attack. Uh, looking at the presidential race, uh, do you believe that in a way that hasn't happened before, that uh, for a lot of people, I'm speaking with Brett Stevens of the New York Times, and uh, do you believe, Brett Stevens, that anti-Semitism will be a political issue in this presidential race? Anti-Semitism will be a political issue, and anti-Semitism will also be, and this is heartbreaking to say, Michael, um, an increasingly visible, naked, unapologetic, unashamed feature of American politics uh, uh, going forward. Um, uh, you, you sense it now where in which people who are making claims that uh, uh, are uh, nakedly anti-Semitic or shading into anti-Semitism um, are proud of the fact um, they are, you, you know, calling someone an anti-Semite no longer shames them. I mean, look um, at Elon Musk. I mean, his, his his line about losing advertisers over endorsing right. the great replacement theory uh, and explicitly endorsing it. Uh, and uh, his comment was they should go beep themselves. Yeah, and, and, and the suggestion that the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, is some all-powerful group, you know, whispering into the ears of power. And, and I mean, this, these, are, these are hoary uh, um, anti-Semitic tropes. And that's coming from one side, which I guess now we think of um, – we think of uh, 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 Musk as a person of the right, although I disliked him when he was a darling of the left, too. Um, uh, uh, I have a longstanding record of, 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 of not liking Elon Musk long before uh, his, his Twitter purchase. Um, uh, but, and, and then you see it, of course, um, on, on the left. You see it on college campuses. So this is uh, – we are, we are now, once again, as we haven't been since the 1930s, in an era in which anti-Semitism plays openly uh, and on a bipartisan basis to a frighteningly large number of people. Speaking of frightening, uh, the American people are about to be put in a situation where 70 percent of the electorate seems to agree that they don't want a race between uh, Biden and Trump. Uh, and and yet that seems to be the lineup we are headed for. Are there any of the third party candidates, including Joe Manchin, who may run with no labels? who you think could actually do something that's never been done before in American history, which is to have a third-party candidate uh, who who actually competes for electoral votes and for the presidency? Well, um, two points I would make. Um, one is I have not given up entirely on Nikki Haley. Um, 
maybe that's uh, I'm just dreaming, um, but uh, I think this is going to narrow very quickly. Uh, the Republican race will narrow very quickly to two people. And, um, you know, politics is dynamic. It's fluid. And so if it's between uh, Nikki, uh, between, I should say, Ambassador Haley, Governor Haley, and um, and Trump, um, you might find a surprise there in the Republican Party. And I haven't given up entirely on the idea that Joe Biden um, will have a moment of, uh, of, of grace and clarity, maybe over Christmas. And he will say, I am not the man to lead the Democratic Party. And you could see uh, a, a, an open primary uh, on that field. As to the question of third parties, they, they just don't work in our system. They don't work in our winner-take-all electoral college system. So you've had Ross Perot. You've had other characters uh, over the years. George Wallace, of course, the Southern racist candidate. Um, they never win. Uh, and I don't see history changing uh, just because there's so much dissatisfaction with the current front runners. Yeah, the the uh, the situation is particularly complicated because there are so many independent candidates who've already announced. Cornell West has announced. Robert Kennedy Jr. has announced. There are polls that show Robert Kennedy Jr. going as high as 22 percent. Now, if if it's evenly split, the remainder between uh, Trump and Biden, uh, that means he's not that far away. Uh, do you I assume you're not enthusiastic about his candidacy for president? No, I'm I, I'm not. I'm not. I haven't completely lost uh, touch with my senses. <laughs> OK, but you know, I'll, I'll tell you something, Michael. Um, you know, I, I just made that comment and I I take it back. And I mean it in this way, like, no, I, I would never vote for, for Robert Kennedy now or never. I think uh, to me, he strikes me as kind of a whack job conspiracy theorist. On the other hand, I am continually surprised by people I know who are of sound mind who will, who are telling me they've thought of voting for him. Sometimes as a protest vote, sometimes because they kind of agree with his affect uh, or, or share one of his conspiracy theories. So he is going to be drawing support, not just from sort of uh, the fringes of, of American politics. He will be drawing support from people you know. I, I just bet they're not going to tell you about it over dinner. Well, again, they're, they're, I've, I've had people talk about it uh, over dinner. And it is amazing to me how many people uh, as Part of their appeal that they feel for Robert Kennedy Jr. is his uh, anti-vax position, uh, which, as you know, is um, uh, particularly popular right now with many, many Americans. Is Gavin Newsom the most likely replacement for Joe Biden if Jill, uh, in a moment of intimacy, was able to persuade him to hang back in this last campaign? I don't think so. I don't think people look at California, and of course we'll see more with the debate between him and Ron DeSantis, I guess, uh, on Thursday. Tonight. Um, is it tonight? You're yes, right. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, um, well, of course tonight. Um, uh, shows you this is what happens when you live in the countryside. You, <laughs> you, you lose track of time. Um, uh I don't think people look at, at California as a model of great governance, a state, 
in tremendous debt, San Francisco as the banner city, homelessness all the way up and down the I-5. Uh, I would think that someone like Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, um, or even perhaps even though he's new as a governor, Wes Moore of Maryland, or Andy Bashir in Kentucky, purple state governors uh, who have a record of success in their states are are likelier than Gavin. But I, you know, um, I've been proved wrong in the past. I'll be proved wrong again. Does uh, Nikki Haley need to get tougher on Trump in order to gain traction? You know, I think she has very good political instincts. And, um, you know, she came out, she's come out notably ahead of Chris Christie, whom I like, by the way. Um, uh, And, uh, you know, Christie's gambit was go straight straight at Trump, hit him hard, hit him harder. I think she's she's succeeded in distinguishing herself just enough and making it clear that, you know, she puts it's time to move past chaos um, without, um, you know, openly insulting or assaulting uh, voters she's going to need in the primaries and and if she should win the nomination in the general election. So, you know, you know, my own view is you should be a purist and go straight after Trump as hard as you can because he's so awful. Um, but politics uh, doesn't always always give you those opportunities, and you have to deal with the electorate you have. And uh, speaking of dealing with the electorate you have and foreign policy realities, just a few words, maybe 30 seconds, on the passing of Henry Kissinger. You know, I knew Henry Kissinger, and while I disagreed with um, a lot of his positions, although I tended to disagree with him from the right rather than from uh, the left. He was a peerless intellect. He was always worth listening to. I learned from him personally. I learned from his books, uh, reading them. Um, I've seen a lot of trash talking of his legacy, but he was an important statesman, and we ought to uh, remember him well and try to learn from him as much as we can. Amen. Uh, Brett Stevens, uh, his most recent columns are posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. He is a much-needed voice in this country. We will talk a little bit about Henry Kissinger and some of the strange reactions to his passing, which focus on his dating life. That and more in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.